Let's pray before Justin comes uh, to us to preach the sermon. God, we're so grateful for, uh, for your presence with us, for your word to us. We pray for Justin now as he comes to bring the word. We ask God that you would empower him by your Holy Spirit to speak your words to us. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, uh, that we may be transformed, that we may be more like you, that we may hear your word for us today. And again, we're thankful, God, that you love us, that you are here with us, um, and that you are longing to connect with us, just as Nikki was reminding us in the Kid City story, that you are eager um, to find those of us who may be lost or are feeling lost even this morning. And so we're here for you, God, and we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, folks. Um, before we get to the message today, I want to update you on our plan for the coming months, which our staff has been working on together with our Reopen Medical and Public Health team. Uh, first of all, Sunday liturgy gatherings will remain online, just as minor and DCPS are remaining virtual. Uh, we might, depending on our ability to find a space, consider a one-off social gathering outdoors, but this would likely not be till later in the fall and contingent on coronavirus conditions in D.C. Second, as we mentioned, weekly small group gatherings, which start next week, uh, will continue online as previously, with an option for in-person outdoor gatherings once a month with up to 15 people max, masks required, socially distanced, washing your hands, staying home if you're feeling sick or were exposed to someone who recently tested positive for COVID, and all of the other precautions you can take. And we want to say, as we've already said to small group leaders, that no one should feel obligated to attend anything in person. One of the findings from our recent COVID survey is that we have a wide range of comfort levels within our congregation. Our priority is to keep people safe and to care for one another. And third, opportunities to serve and volunteer individually or together with your small group will be at the discretion of small group leaders and the approval of small group coaches. Um, that is for church-sanctioned opportunities specifically. Folks can decide, you can decide what you want to do on your own. So this is our plan for the coming months, and we'll send all of this out via email. So if you don't already get the scoop, you can go to um, the, the link that we have uh, on our website. You can connect to the link that we have on our website, and you can get connected there. Um, so that's our plan for the fall, um, and so we encourage you to go and sign up for the scoop on the website. Um, to transition to the message, there's no real easy way to do that, but to, 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 to do that, we're, I want to start by asking a question. Uh, Ms. Nikki started uh, asking the question in the Kid City lesson of, um, when did you lose something? And I want to I turn that a little bit, and I want to ask, uh, if, if, well, if, if we were here together in person, I would say, turn to your neighbor and, and ask this question, but we're, we're not. So um, the question is, when was the last time you got lost? When was the last time you got lost? You were, maybe you were driving somewhere new and your phone died or you lost signal on, and so you couldn't use your GPS anymore. Maybe you were hiking and uh, you, you got off the path and you, you, you couldn't figure out where you were. Maybe it was as a kid, losing your parents in a busy shopping mall. I'm sure we all have stories of getting lost. Now, let me ask a slightly different question. When was the last time you felt lost? When was the last time you felt lost? Maybe it was this morning or this week 
this month, this year, maybe it's been the, these last six months of COVID. Maybe it's the experience of, of losing a loved one recently or losing a job or losing a dream, losing all that once seemed stable. As I was praying about this fall and, and about this new series in particular, the image that God brought to mind was of a ship uh, from centuries ago, a ship with mast and sails, and it was caught up in a vicious storm. It was being tossed uh, here and there that the crew was struggling together to, to bring the sail down so that the mast wouldn't crack in the, in the storm. They were doing whatever they needed to stay afloat and away from the rocks to, to survive. And when finally the storm passed, when the worst of it abated, the, the crew was able to take stock of the state of their boat, to assess the damage, and then, most importantly, to figure out where they were, where they were going, and how they were going to get there. On any journey, it's helpful to regularly check your bearings, to make sure you're still going in the right direction, and to course correct if needed. But that's especially true when you've been through a storm. When you've gone through something where all you could do was make it through. Now you don't need me to tell you that we aren't through it yet. Some of us may feel like we're still in the worst of it. Still in mourning, still in shock, still enraged. Some are grieving the damage, lamenting what's been lost. Some are numbing out or, or tr just trying to distract ourselves because it's all too much to take in. It's all too much to process. It's all too much to even name. But no matter where we may feel like we are, the invitation of God, I think, is to do more than just react. Reacting is, is good to help us get through, to help us survive. That, that fight or flight response is, is really helpful when something's just coming at you quick. But at some point... We have to respond with intention and purpose. To listen to what God has to say and to do what is ours to do. To discern and decide what it looks like to be faithful in a changed world. And then to do it. In a few weeks, we're going to mark six months of life in the age of COVID. Six months since we met together in person at Minor Elementary. Six months since we had to retreat into protective quarantine bubbles in order to survive and to care for our neighbors. And yet as a church, as followers of the Lord of life, we're invited to do more than just survive. Mm -hmm. And so over these next few weeks, we're gonna take time to recalibrate as a church to remember what we're called to, and to consider how to get from here to there. We've called this series, Tell Us, where we're going and how we'll get there. Tell Us is a Greek word that means aim or goal, as in where we're going. But it also means purpose, as in who we are, who we're becoming. And we're going to be reflecting again on our mission and our vision as a church and what it looks like in the world as it is right now. The passage we're looking at this morning is from Jeremiah 29. It's a passage that you might be familiar with. This is how it starts. The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to the few surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests and the prophets, and to all the people Nebuchadnezzar had taken to Babylon from Jerusalem. The letter was sent after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, 
the court officials, the government leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen and smiths had left Jerusalem. This was a particularly difficult time for the people of Israel. It was about 600 years before Christ and they were in exile. They had seen their capital city, Jerusalem, and their holy temple, their symbols of hope, destroyed. They found themselves in captivity, carried away from their homeland, the promised land, by King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, an empire who did not respect their customs or their God or their humanity. Psalm 137 was written during this time of exile. This is how Psalm 137 goes. Alongside Babylon's streams, there we sat down, crying because we remembered Zion. We hung up our lyres in the tree there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. They said, sing us a song about Zion. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? The people of the Lord were were, were tired and discouraged. Some were probably hopeless. Some were angry at the Babylonians and maybe even at God for letting this happen. Psalm 137 famously, infamously, ends with this. Daughter Babylon, you destroyer, a blessing on the one who pays you back the very deed you did to us. A blessing on the one who seizes your children and smashes them against the rock. Hard words, but it gives you some idea of what the people in exile were feeling. The rage, the thirst for vengeance and justice the desire to, 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 to see their enemies subjected to the same bullying, mocking oppression that they had been subjected to. And into this chaos, into this chaos, this word comes, a word from the Lord. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down, cultivate gardens and eat what they produce, get married and have children, then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Now to be clear, this is not the word of the Lord that the Israelites were hoping for. They were suffering in a foreign land. They were held captive by the very people who had destroyed their temple and laid waste to their homeland. They would have wanted nothing more than to wreak vengeance on their captors. As we heard in, in Psalm 137, what they would have wanted to hear was a word that they said something like, don't worry, this is just a glitch. You'll be home before you know it, and the Babylonians will be eating dirt soon enough. And in fact, if you read just a few verses later in Jeremiah 29, there were some so-called prophets who were saying this exact thing. And God says, don't listen to them. See, not only is God saying to his people that this exile is not going to be over very soon, he's telling his people to make themselves at home in exile to make themselves at home in exile. 
What does it mean to build houses and settle down, to plant gardens and eat what they produce, to marry and have sons and daughters, and to find wives and husbands for your children so that they can have children? What does that mean? Well, it means you may be here a while. It means you may grow old in this place. It means you may see your children and your children's children grow up in captivity, in the shadow of oppression, in the land of exile. God says increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. And I'm sure that some of the people of Israel were thinking, yeah, we're going to increase just like we did when we were in slavery in Egypt and then we're going to rise up and God is going to smite our oppressor and he's going to deliver us and he's going to take us back. But God's not done. God says in verse 7, Promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. Or maybe it's more familiar in the NIV. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The word there for peace and welfare is shalom. Shalom. That's a word that appears in the Bible in, in some form or fashion over 500 times. This peace is not an absence of conflict, but the presence of right relationship. It's a way of interacting with one another that acknowledges we are all made in God's image and we are all bound together. Native American theologian Randy Woodley describes shalom like this. He says, shalom is communal, holistic, and tangible. There is no private or partial shalom. The whole community must have shalom or no one has shalom. As long as there are hungry people in a community that is well-fed, there can be no shalom. Shalom is not for the many while a few suffer, nor is it for the few while many suffer. It must be available for everyone. God tells his people to seek the shalom, the welfare, the flourishing of the city in which they find themselves in exile, because if it prospers, then they will prosper. This is a passage we've talked about often. It's one that has meant a lot to me over the course of my life. Ten years ago, I was part of the team that planted the church that ended up planting Christ City Church. And Jeremiah 29 was, in many ways, the foundational passage, the anchoring passage. It was this calling to seek the peace and prosperity, the shalom, the welfare, the flourishing of the city that motivated us to form a new community of people focused on being for the city that people usually come to take from. The vision was that we wouldn't just be a gathering of Christians who were here in D.C. to further ourselves, to, to, to get a degree or a job or to find an internship or to add to our resumes, but that we would be a family of believers, of native Washingtonians and folks who were coming to call this place home, and even of folks who were brought here just for a season, but a family of believers that was committed to this city, committed to this place committed to loving and serving our neighbors and those in need. 
Now about a year ago, we started engaging in a strategic planning process here at Christ City. Now, we've been Christ City for two years and we've been the Eastside Parish for four years before that and we, we felt like it was time to intentionally and prayerfully discern what God would have us focus on in the next season. Uh, a number of pieces and parts were already in place, some more advanced than others, including our discernment around inclusion regarding issues of human sexuality and conversations that would lead to role changes for Matthew and myself and the other staff too. We thought we'd be done by now and you know we'd get to roll out this shiny new vision and mission for you all this month. Um, obviously we didn't know a lot of what was going to happen this year and so we've had to adapt and this process is still ongoing. We're still in the middle of it. But where we're going, where we're going is where we've always been going. That fire, that passion, that purpose to see our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and our city flourish has been at the heart of who we are for years. Our mission and vision at Christ City since the beginning has been to join Christ in His work of redemption in Washington, D.C. and the world, to see the kingdom of God on display in D.C. in every life, and every sphere of life. The kingdom of God is the term that Jesus uses to describe the rule and reign of God, where what God wants to happen, it actually happens in us and through us. And that's why we pray every week the Lord's Prayer, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because we want every life, every single person, and every sphere of life, business, government, culture, our, our education, our schools, our politics, we want every life and every sphere of life to know and experience and be filled with the life of God and the Spirit of God and to be characterized by the fruit of that Spirit, by love, by joy, by peace, by patience, by kindness, by goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a world that would be. As I've thought about our calling, about the deep core of who we are, I think about Daniel. Not, not my son Daniel, but the biblical character that he was named after. I think about Daniel and about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Four of the young men who were taken into exile in Babylon. You know, they may well have heard these words of Jeremiah, to seek the peace of the city they had been carried into. What it meant for them to seek the shalom of the city was that they trusted God with their lives and with their futures. And they remained faithful to God even in a foreign land. When things were looking up and they were appointed as administrators and rulers, and when things were looking less than ideal, they were thrown into the lion's den, thrown into the fiery furnace, because their ultimate allegiance was still to their God. I think about how decades later, after the Babylonian Empire had fallen and the Persian Empire had risen up in its place, after some of the Jews had returned to Israel as God promised, a woman named Esther was thrust into a role, originally just as a trophy wife to the king. She wasn't expected to do anything apart from look pretty. She wasn't expected to do anything as a woman in that day and age. But she remained faithful to God, even in a foreign land, 
when things were looking up and she became queen, and when things were looking less than ideal. She had to put her life on the line because her people's lives were at risk. The Bible is full of people who found themselves in situations they did not choose with a calling they would not have chosen if they had had the choice. What's the calling? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbors as yourself. Or as we heard today, seek the peace and prosperity, the shalom, the welfare of the city into which I have carried you into exile. Pray for it. For if it prospers, then you too will prosper. Which if you think about it in context, is just another way of saying, love your enemies, isn't it? Those were the words of Jesus. See, love is at the core of who God is who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, and if love is at the core of who God is, then love is at the core of who we are because we are made in God's image. We're made to represent God. And particularly those of us who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves followers of Jesus, imitators of Jesus, part of Jesus' body, the church. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how we're going to get where God has called us to go through three lenses that may not seem very original, but if we ever really live them out, the world and all of us in it would be transformed. Love God, love one another, and love our neighbors. Love God, love one another, and love our neighbors. And we're going to unpack what it might mean tangibly, practically, in action, what love looks like for each of us in each of those spheres because in the words of Eugene Peterson, love isn't a sentimental way of feeling, but a sanctified way of living that respects the value of other people. It's a sanctified way of living. Real love, not just the abstract value, not just the thin facade of love that's portrayed on screens and in our culture, but the tangible action, the deep love of God, that's hard. That's hard. That requires sacrifice, effort, intentionality, attention. It demands that we lay down some things we've held on to for the sake of others. Ask the people of Israel who were in exile to seek the shalom of their city was not an easy ask. To seek the shalom of our city, of your neighborhoods, and let's be real, because we're talking about people as well. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your family, your friends, your enemies. That is love and that is hard. COVID has made stark and clear a lot of the inequities that have been right in front of our eyes on, uh, around race and economics and education and opportunity and civil rights and health care. And those are just the places in which God's kingdom needs to break through. My calling is still the same. Our calling as a church is still the same. It is to speak out and to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to be salt and light in a world desperate for resilient hope and amazing grace and persevering love and the justice of God. It is to live as citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom of God. It is to defend the image of God in every person 
to speak up for the voiceless, to welcome the stranger, to offer healing to the broken and wounded, to give rest to the weary and downhearted, to stand up for the oppressed and the marginalized, to preach good news to the poor, to break every chain, to challenge every injustice and every ism as an affront to a just God, to point forward to a day when people of every nation and every tribe and every tongue will gather at the throne of God to worship, and as John wrote in Revelation, God will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away, and we will be home. And yet, while all of that is right and true, it's, it's also still a little vague, isn't it? As Randy Woodley said, shalom is tangible. It's tangible. And so what would shalom look like, that communal, holistic, tangible peace and flourishing? What would shalom look like in your life and in every sphere of your life? What would shalom look like in our church and in our city? When I think about what it looks like to seek shalom, for us as Christ City to seek shalom, I see us, Christ City, being and becoming a community that loves God and loves others with bold, fierce humility. A community of storytellers and entrepreneurs, of teachers and caregivers, of prayer warriors and prayer partners, where people can enter into the rest of God and discover the healing of God, where people can see and experience the life-giving spirit of God instead of the death-dealing legalism of religiosity and American Christian nationalism. I see us being and becoming the kind of community into which we can invite anyone and everyone to experience the life and the love and the mission and the family and the spirit of God. I see us being and becoming a church that offers and embodies a welcome and an inclusion that defies our narrow boxes and, and categories and it makes us feel just about as uncomfortable as the radical grace of God does. I see us, Christ City, being and becoming a church and a community that worships in spirit and in truth, where our actions line up with our words where what we say and how we live really is good news for our world and for our city and especially those who are on the margins or those who are vulnerable. And I think it especially and particularly of those who we care for through our support and our partnerships with, with the minor mutual aid and with the minor PTO, with DC 127, with Free Minds Book Club, with Little Lights, with DC Unity and Justice, with Peace Walks, with the Washington Interfaith Network, and so many more. Folks who are on the journey with us to see more of God's kingdom here on earth. I see us, Christ City, being and becoming a church that refuses to run away from hard realities, but seeks in the power of God to be part of the gospel solution. Whether that's gun violence and gentrification, 
whether that's issues of education and equity, whether that's addressing racism and white supremacy or homophobia or any of the internalized biases all up in ourselves. Because if God is about the work of blessing, if God is about the work of blessing, then that's where God is. That's where God is. That's where the blessing is. That's where life is. And that's where I want to be. And that's where I want us to be. Friends, family, it starts with taking a look at ourselves first. We ought never just to point outside of ourselves at what's wrong without being as self-aware as we can be, as individuals and as a community. And so one of the things, one of the things that we're going to be doing this fall is we're going to be undergoing an internal race and justice audit. As a church, we're going to be undergoing a, a, an internal audit so that we can know, so that we can hear from one another about how we're doing and how we need to grow. We'll be hiring someone from, from outside of the church to help us walk through this, and I'm excited, and we'll be sharing more about this in the weeks to come. But I also want to invite you to be in prayer for our church and for what your part will be in who we become. What your part will be in who we become. Who we as a church become, it isn't just a, you know, about what the preacher says on Sundays. It isn't just about what the elders and the staff and the leadership council are up to. It's a joint effort on all of our parts. Communal formation, who we are, who we as Christ City are, and personal transformation, who you are becoming, they're inextricably tied together. Our community is made up of all of us. We are the church as we, we've been learning and, and diving into this year. Which means that we as Christ City Church are at the very least the sum of the commitments we make, the actions we take, the relationships we cultivate, and the spaces of healing and sharing and growing and learning and daring that we create and invest in. And so I want to ask you, to consider on your own and with others, what does shalom look like for you, for us? How is God asking you to be a part of God's work to bring life to others in our city? Because what God says is, if you want to find shalom, if you want to find peace, if you want to flourish, Seek the shalom of the city. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Would you pray with me? God, we need your spirit to enliven our imaginations to lift our eyes and lift our heads, to refresh us where we're exhausted, to give us hope where we are downcast and disappointed, to give us joy where we are in the depths. God, we need your imagination for who we can become 
And what our part in that is, God, because we confess that our imaginations are far smaller than yours. Our hopes, our dreams, our visions are far smaller than yours. Far more selfish, far more self-centered. We like to think about getting ours, taking care of our own things and our own needs, and then maybe if we have margin, if we have leeway, then, then we'll look outside of ourselves. But somehow you flip that on its head, Lord, and you say, no, seek the peace of those around you, and in their peace you'll find your own. Mm -hmm. that, that, that runs so counter to what we see all around us and what our own inclinations might be. And so we need you, God. Mm -hmm. We need you. We pray for your spirit to, to fall afresh on us, God. I pray for every single person who is watching this, who is listening to this, wherever they may be, whatever the condition of their heart, of their mind, of their relationships, of their life, God, I pray that your spirit would fall afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. because we want to know your life and we want to be bearers and vessels of your life to those around us. We pray these things all in the mighty, mighty name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.